Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. I'm so excited to be joined by sound editor and designer Eric Adal, who has just been Oscar nominated for Best Sound for his work on the Gareth Edwards sci-fi futuristic action thriller, The Creator. He's known for his past work, such as the Transformers franchise, the Kung Fu Panda films, um, a previous collaboration with Gareth on Godzilla and the Sonic the Hedgehog movies. He's previously been Oscar nominated as well for Transformers, Dark of the Moon, Argo, and A Quiet Place. Eric, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Max. So um, I know that you've always had an interest in both natural realism or documentary style filmmaking, and then also the sci-fi that we know you for so well in your past work. Can you talk about how, I guess, coincidental and how lucky it was for you that Gareth in his second you know, collaboration that he wanted to do with you happened to be a combination of the two things that you had such an interest in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, one of the things that Gareth and I bonded over um, when we first started working together, gosh, uh, 12 years ago now, um, was a shared love of um, both documentary films uh, like Ron Fricke's Baraka, for example, huge fans, both of us of that. Um, also huge fans of Terrence Malick. And I've had the pleasure of working on three Terrence Malick movies. And so when Gareth, when Gareth brought up this new idea he had um, for the creator, uh, it, it was over a dinner we had maybe five years ago. He was talking about combining his two kind of favorite genres from the, the the natural realism of Terrence Malick with the sort of high concept science fiction world of, say, James Cameron and creating kind of this hybrid movie. Um, and when he told me that, I was like, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. But how is he going to pull this off? And uh the first step was he went to do this location scout um, before the movie was like funded and greenlit. And uh, he went to a bunch of countries in Southeast Asia, um, including Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, the Himalayas and Nepal. And just on his own um, shot, you know, all this footage just of real life, real situations, people on the streets, um, the jungles by Angkor Wat. And uh, he cut together this sort of 10 minute proof of concept piece. Um, and when I saw it, it totally reminded me of Baraka. And uh, I did the sound on it. And then ILM jumped in and did sort of the science fiction overlay on it. And what it turned into was something so unique, like something I've never really seen before. You know, you're in you're in the jungles of Cambodia by a temple and there's a monk walking and praying, but it's not a human. It's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so interesting and thought provoking. And, you know, can AI have spirituality, you know, <laughs> so um, so taking this on uh this kind of blend of the super real and lived in and gritty and 
this kind of high concept science fiction was as a sound designer, uh, kind of a dream for me. Right. And as you mentioned, something you had yet to tackle before, but it seems like you dabbled in it separately in terms of working on the yeah. Terrence Malick, more realist films, as well as, you know, the Godzillas and the Transformers, you know, that sci-fi side of it, which you're so versed in that this was really the first time that it was integrated and, you know, in, in a film such as this. Um, I know that you worked with Gareth before on um, Godzilla now 10 years ago in 2014. Um, because of that previous working relationship, did you feel like you had a shorthand with him on the creator that made working with him a bit easier than um, the first time around? Um, well, yeah, we totally ha have this shorthand. And, and I think what I love about Gareth as a director is that he's fearless about trying new things. And what I love about my job is not doing the same old thing every time. You know, I want to try something new and fresh and use fresh ingredients. And and Gareth, as a filmmaker, is he's not interested in like doing the easy thing, right? <laughs> like the, you know, the easy thing is something that's been done before in a film that you know works. It's the safe path. Um, he's super into the opposite, which is, okay, what's, what's the riskiest thing that we can try? What is, you know, uh, what is out of the box? And, and for me, that's what inspires me creatively is, is that way of thinking. And, and I think my working relationship with Gareth, and this is true for our whole sound crew, um, he doesn't give like the sort of direction where it's like, okay, this, this should sound like this other thing from this another movie or he doesn't direct that way he'll he'll give you an emotion or something he'll say okay the space station nomad which has shines these blue tracking beams across earth to kind of search for ai bases to be able to bomb them like that blue blue beam should sound like it would give you cancer if you put your hand in the beam for too long and I love that kind of direction because it's like it's more about like a feeling like how do you OK, how do we evoke then that radioactivity or that volatility? We're not trying to mimic or reproduce something that's been done in another movie, but we're kind of given the license to come up with completely sort of fresh concepts. So I, I love that. I'm glad you mentioned the Nomad because that's, I think, one of the most significant elements of the film. It's the you know, advanced space station that's capable of launching these destructive attacks from orbit. Um, can you talk about, um, I guess, possibly inspirations you had behind um, the sounds of those attacks, since that is the source of um, so much of the, of the, um, I guess, sonic um, impact that the audience has when they're watching the film? Yeah, well, so Nomad in particular is this kind of ever-present danger in the film. And sound has this power to be able to evoke emotion, whether it's like calm or beauty or or fear. And, you know, the, the great filmmaker Walter Murch once put it like that images come in through the front door, but sound comes in through the back door. 
it, it can work it can work very subliminally and so for the sound of nomad i wanted a sound that like if you closed your eyes you could feel the danger of it that it felt not safe um and ironically nomad is one of the only the sound of nomad is one of the only sounds in the whole movie that's purely synthetic and i find that funny because the whole mission of nomad is to destroy ai but the sound of it is kind of the only artificial thing in the mm -hmm. film everything is else is based on real sounds including the robot sounds um so gareth he, he'd come into the studio here and he'd love to just make sounds with his with his voice and the first sound he kind of made he's like oh, maybe what if nomad's kind of like a and and we're like okay and so we started playing with that and but it nothing really clicked until ilm started to get us some of the imagery and you'd see the beams kind of like quickly shift into a different pattern and go into a grid and then realign and switch over. And so we kind of took those more steady drone sounds and matched them to those visual patterns. And that that's finally, I think, what created this feeling of volatility and radioactivity. Mm -hmm. It's It wasn't just like a steady drone. It Instead of, it would be, uh, which, you know, on some level just feels like, oh, don't touch that. You're going to get shocked. <laughs> it's yeah. Danger to it. And and we kind of played it musically also. Um, like I used minor keys with it. So it would start as an E flat and then go to a C and, and that kind of thing. So. Uh, yeah. And so this is obviously not a true story, but it's perhaps a haunting hint at what could come for our world, you know, in the future with obviously the threat of AI. Um, I'm interested to know if there were any real world sounds of space or war or perhaps any sonic influences that you received. I know Gareth mentioned that he wanted to sort of kind of steer clear of anything, any past films. But were there sort of videos or films or anything you did look to for inspiration? Since, you know, it's very, we haven't seen many AI films, you know, come out recently. And this is probably like the most timely, you know, film since it, AI is so omnipresent in our in our day to day. Yeah, you know, I'm... Uh, some of the influences for the movie might have been, like for me at least films like Blade Runner that where and what's interesting about Blade Runner is you can't tell what a, who a simulant is just by looking or listening to them and I kind of imagined that some of the most advanced AI like Alfie who's the super weapon should should at a certain point you you forget you should forget that she's AI um, she almost as a character becomes more human than some of the human characters. And so sonically that meant um, not treating her voice like a robot, you know, like AI now, a lot, of, a lot of it, you can't tell that it's uh, computer generated, for example, versus it's robotic. Um, so we kind of took that at, for the most advanced AI. That was kind of our approach that, uh, what we did was very subtle with them. Um, 
And of course, within Gareth's universe here that he's created, there's a whole spectrum of robots that from the most advanced, like Alfie, to the more rudimentary, um, he kind of described this as like retro futurism for the rudimentary versions. So, you know, you might have like the most advanced iPhone, but then you also still might have like the Sony Walkman version of, of a robot. So um, examples of that might be some of the New Asia robotic police. And we used like some um, 1970s kind of techniques. Um, Gareth totally loves the film THX 1138. And a lot of the vocal processing um, that was kind of robotic used back then were, were analog tools like vocoders. And so we used um, modern uh, digital versions of vocoders for those kind of characters. Um, and then we have the bomb robots, which are sort of, they're not AI because AI is banned in the West, but um, they're kind of the speak and spell version <laughs> of, mm -hmm. of, a, of a robot. So all in all, we had uh, hundreds of different kind of treatments. Um, every single robot was bespoke and represents, you know, a part of the uh, somewhere in the range of the spectrum from the most rudimentary to the to the most advanced. So um, another influence um, might be Apocalypse Now, just in terms of tone, you know, there's this as the West is going in and, you know, trying to hunt out these AI bases, there's there's this feeling kind of of Vietnam. And and that was one thing, like for the jet copters coming in, we wanted to evoke that kind of apocalypse now thump that the yeah. film opens with the boop, 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 boop. Um, so we kind of fused that with the jets that that you see for these jet copters and created sort of this pulse pattern that in certain spots um, uh, we could just kind of hint at that kind of Vietnam feeling. Yeah, a couple of films I was thinking of, and they're so different, but in terms of style of combining the, um, you know, more documentary realist setting with the um, sci-fi element was District 9 oh, and yeah. um, Cloverfield, even though Cloverfield is like more found footage, it's not. But um, yeah, those are like a couple examples in terms of style that I was thinking of um, while watching. Um, well, for my uh, last question, um, I know uh, in the world of, you know, major film studios, an $80 million budget could be seen as more of an indie film budget. It's a far cry from the typical two, $300 million uh, budgets that a lot of these big movies work with. So in a sense, I'm sure that um, probably challenged uh, Gareth more. Um, could you talk about how um, $80 million really allowed you to lean in into being, um, I guess, uh, finding new ways. And because I think with a more limited budget that might give you uh, more freedom to try to test um, different um, things. So can you talk about how um, how the budget may have affected um, the sonic techniques that you were able to employ? Um, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, like you said, this for a movie of this scale, um, it's a very small budget. Yeah, uh, it it looks like it, it's a two hundred and fifty million dollar movie, and uh, and uh, so we had to be really sort of SEAL Team Six, like a super tight 
expert crew. There was no flab on the crew. We had to really not waste any time. <laughs> um, one of the things Gareth always complained about having come from, you know, he started with his first film was Monsters, which he did on a shoestring, and it was shot totally guerrilla style. And then his next movie was Godzilla. And I think one of the things that was a little annoying to him on Godzilla and Rogue One was that um, you've got hundreds of crew members and it takes days to get anything done. And he wanted to kind of go back to his roots. And that's how he shot the creator in a total guerrilla style on location. There's almost no green screen like on stage uh, photography. It's all in these actual real locations and super small tight crew um their extras were just local villagers and people who lived there and who joined the the movie and uh our production sound mixer ian voigt had to invent completely new methods of recording the onset dialogue and crowds because he couldn't just you know wire everything up and then sit in one place uh you know gareth would be shooting 360 so that you couldn't have like a little video village you know of crew sitting there everybody had to be mobile and he would do these 30 minute 40 minute takes and so ian invented all these new sort of like wireless microphone techniques and a whole new package uh, a whole new system of dealing with dailies because the movie was shot on prosumer cameras that don't have time code. So, and Gareth doesn't like using slates. So it was like a whole new workflow that was kind of invented. And it's remarkable. The tracks we got back from location, um, they were amazing. They were so real and felt so gritty and, that was kind of for us our starting point. That was sort of the spine of the reality of the film, and uh, and then we got to supplement it with, you know, my own. I, I've over the last twenty years, I've been to Southeast Asia many times and recorded in some of the same locations that the film was in. So I have these multi-channel recordings from the jungles of Cambodia and uh, Thailand, Laos, Vietnam. Um, and all of my favorite sort of recordings uh, went in, into this movie. And uh, that was a budget saver, just that coincidence alone that I had already kind of collected a lot of the real world material. Um, well, that's actually, that made me think because it seems like shooting guerrilla style and shooting on location, it brings a sense of greater authenticity to the sound of the film than what you're accustomed to um, with, you know, shooting against green screens around back lots, that there's a sense of um, genuineness to the locations that you're filming and the fact that you're able to capture the sound from, from these actual countries. Yeah, 100%. There's, there's nothing like the real thing. And, yeah. and when you're out there, uh, you know, in the real world, um, it's so much more inspiring creatively, like all these wonderful, happy accidents happen and things that you would never, you could never just like script and shoot on a, on a stage. Um, it's just totally different sort of philosophies really to, to filmmaking. So I think it's, to me, it's incredible that Gareth kind of brought these two very different sort of ways of filmmaking together. Um, 
and and I'm I'm grateful that he brought me along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations again on your work in the film, and congrats on your fourth Oscar nomination. Um, really quick, but how does I, you've been through it several times before? But how has this whole process felt? Has it been unique at all as opposed to the previous three times you've gone through it? Well, <clears throat> um, you know, you always like, you know, that yes, this is my fourth time, but I still have like bl- butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. This period now, like bet- from when it, the nominations were announced until March 10th, when the Oscars show happens, it's like this limbo period. And it's like a little bit, you're just like, okay, can this just be over? Right. Because <laughs> it's a little nerve wracking. Um, maybe one thing that is, felt different this time was I was not expecting a nomination at all this this year. Um you know, there was, uh, I was, you know, there were up against like some really big films that have gotten tons of sort of like campaigns and press and all of this. And I think the, when, when I woke up that morning, I wasn't even thinking about nominations and I went, Oh wait, today's the day they're announcing them. And my, I didn't have any messages on my phone. So I thought, Oh, it's, Oh, well didn't do it. Didn't make it. And then I realized it was in do not disturb mode, <laughs> turn that off and then <laughs> yes. and I was like, oh my gosh. But, you know, I think it's just a, a um, it's even more of an honor, I guess, because I, it, I, I think we, um, I think the Academy, um, you know, enough, enough people, enough Academy members like saw it and appreciated it, it, uh, the sound of it and to, to honor us with with the nomination so um it's yeah it's a wonderful honor and i think this is the, your first nomination now where you're nominated alongside the rest of the sound team where i know before the editing and the mixing uh teams were separated in two different categories and now this is the first time you're nominated where you're with your fellow mixers and that that must be great it's a hundred percent it's it's wonderful and you know, one little side benefit is we don't have to explain why there's two different categories. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah, shout out to the mixing team. Um, they had, this was the most complicated mix I've ever been a part of. So, um, yeah, Tom Ozanich, Dean Zupanzik, Ian Voigt, um, incredible. And uh, my partner, Ethan Vanderein, we've been working together for 17 years now. So um, it's just an in- incredible team. Yeah. Well, congratulations again on the team's nomination, two Oscar nominations for the creator, which is exciting. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Max. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.